Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the sense slip at all possible. Find the obvious, buried in the absurd. Hold on to your lug nuts. Time for an overall. This is what we call in the business a tag team effort. So one of my favorite tag teams in pro wrestling of all time, I just came back from the gym a little bit ago. I used to work out with these guys. We're the Road Warriors. I'm still wearing my Road Warrior shirt because I went to the gym and I got to represent. So anyway, tag team wrestling is all about slapping in and, and the partner comes in and takes over. And then the other guy jumps out and they beat the hell out of each other. So my tag team partner for so many years is the infamous and ever effervescent Jennifer Weigel. Except we don't beat the crap out of each other. No, in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> Yeah. No, we're beating up opponents. We're battling against the powers of radio over the years. I love it. John, it is always so great. Always so great to be spending time with you on the microphone. How the heck are you? I'm really, really good. And I was just realizing as we started this show that uh, you sent me this text the other day when I was on WGN. How long ago was this? So it was 12 years ago. Hmm. You were doing a shift on WGN radio. Right. And I got this memory, you know, like that pops up on Facebook, you know, yeah. this day, blah, blah, blah. And there it was that I was on the radio with you. So I must have been working at the Chicago Tribune at the time. And it was like, there's John. And I mean, the thing that's <laughs> so cool about you, John, and I don't know that a lot of people know, and sure, a lot of people do who listen to your 2.0 podcast and everything that's going on. But, you know, you walked to Michigan and back. That's pretty damn cool. Well, you almost got it right. I walked from Michigan to Chicago and back. So I did the round <laughs> trip. But either way, yeah, it was pretty cool. And th- these days, I hate walking. Oh, I'm, I bet. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's it's a weird deal. Uh, when I go to the gym, you know, I use a lot of the machines and stretching all that kind of stuff. But I don't want to get on a treadmill again in my life. It's no, a weird no, thing. No. But Did you get bloody feet? Because I know a lot of people who do the Camino <laughs> and, and, you know, things like that, they, they bleed through their shoes. No, I did not have the bloody feet <laughs> syndrome. I had to uh, switch shoes out. Matter of fact, I still have the pair of boots literally five feet away in my studio here that I wore about, I think about three quarters of the way back. It was it was a long walk and it was in September, October and November of 1996. Mm-hmm. And the boots, I still have them. I have them in my jacket that I wore as an overcoat. It was kind of like an all weather gear. Right. And guess what? what? Still fits. Oh, nice. <laughs> hey, I got a pair of jeans from college that I keep. I don't own a scale. This is a true story. Smart. I do not own a scale because I believe, you know, you could have like one sushi roll of soy sauce and the next day you're five pounds heavier and you right. lose your mind. But hey, if I can fit into those jeans from college, I'm good. So far, it's, we're okay. That's right. I mean, I have a bunch. I don't have college pants because that's going back a ways. But I do keep certain things. And I'm thinking, again, if I can fit into that, that jacket's a good indicator that I'm, I'm pretty good with okay. But the reason I brought up with the WGN thing is, as we're sitting here doing this podcasting, how long ago? 10, 11, 12 years? Uh-huh, you said? 12 years ago. Podcasting was basically in its infancy, in not a, if not its adolescence. There, there was not this ability to literally just sit down and do the, what we're doing right now. And I, I thought that was just a big quantum leap from, which I love being on WGN. I like be, I'm a studio rat. Uh, my my mm-hmm. office is set up like a studio for the most part because I feel comfortable there. Right. But look at us. We get to sit in our homes, in our offices, our studios at home and do this, touch the world. 
And you know what? Even when the pandemic started and I had a radio show on WLS here in Chicago, mm-hmm. I, I was doing it out of my living room and I had to sit through all these Viagra and Cialis commercials. <laughs> now I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> you know what? There's Are an you upside. having trouble in the bedroom? If I, I know, that right? One more time, I'll let oh, my teenage God. son. This is what our world has come to. But you know, I was having a, a conversation, <laughs> a heartfelt conversation recently with a friend because I do my spiritual social clubs, as you know, which is yes. something that was birthed in Zoom land when the pandemic hit because I couldn't be live all the time like I had been. So I started doing these things on Zoom and I kept that community going because we connected with people all over the world. I've got people in Australia and Mm. Amsterdam and in Canada. I had a lady, you know, in Oregon and then another in Florida. So it's so nice how we can reach out to other people. But this one lady is really going through it. I mean, we're talking really going through it. And it's like everything's coming down and, you know, this other woman had a fire and then her husband died and all these. These are serious, serious downspins for mm. many, many people right now. And and this one woman was like, I just don't know how much more I can take. I just don't. Yeah. And I mean, and I know you know, and I know we have both been in it, in the thick yeah. of it, in the worst ways. And, and one of the things you had to do is you knew you had to walk from Michigan to yeah. Chicago and back. Tell us why remind us why well look you know you can do everything right and in your mind it turns out wrong and that's where my life was back in that time so i you know i went to I went to the service i went to college i got my degree i you know served my country i was a hard-working guy uh busted my butt to, to do the things i thought i needed to, do to go where i needed to go and i thought i'd go into teaching and that didn't pan out just was not the, I, I was feeling my way through all that it wasn't the right feel or right fit for me and so I found myself in a business deal with a couple, these road warrior guys, matter of fact, that I mentioned on the way in, both of them now deceased, which is sad, both young men and both great guys, but they had invented a pair of pants called Zubaz. You might remember them from the 80s and the 90s, those tiger stripe workout pants. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the bears especially. With yeah. Blue. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Course. Everybody was wearing them. And th- those were created by those two guys and somebody, because they were bigger, they were both, you know, 280, 290 pound guys. They wanted comfortable workout pants. So they came up with this idea and they would wear them to the gyms they worked out at when they went to the wrestling major cities. Mm-hmm. And it caught on bigger and bigger. Next thing you know, they have a business. Next thing you know, there's an industry. And they sold that business to JCPenney for $22 million. <laughs> wow. That is good. Uh, but then they thought that everything happens like that, and it doesn't. So we were in a business deal. And I, you know, I, I've, I've written about this, so it's really no big deal. But mm-hmm. I wish they were here to kind of add to it. They were just, again, so odd that I'm wearing this shirt as you're asking me this question. Mm-hmm. But uh, we were in a business deal, and there was a guy from 3M Company who was on a plane with Joe Laurinaitis, who was Road Warrior Animal. Joe passed away in 2020. And uh, the guy was giving him this information about this new product that 3M was trying to develop along the lines of Post-it notes where you would have images you could stick on a wall and take them off and it would cause no harm to the wall. You didn't need, you know, push pins or nails or anything like that. Just tape. Sure. And uh, the, Joe's like, this is our next multi-million dollar thing. We're going to do this, this, this. I'm like, this is all great, but we got to get an agreement with this guy. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So this went back and forth for months. And I was actually planning on moving to Minneapolis. I came back from one of our meetings in Texas. It was a knockout meeting. I thought this is the kind of thing where I only have to work three months out of the year if I want in mm-hmm. about five years. And went up to Minneapolis, had my wife at the time and two kids are like six and four years old. We, I drive up there, I put money down to rent a house and we drive up on our way to a wedding in the Upper Peninsula. So we went up and then we we're going to go north and then and east. And we get to this house in the waning light. I'll never forget it, pulling into the driveway and there's these people 
um, inside and I think, oh, they're cleaning because I'm going to, you know, we're going to rent this. We're going to check it out and show my kids and show the wife and then we'll go to this wedding. And I walked in there and the guy's like, can I help you? I said, yeah, you know, are you guys here to clean up? He goes, clean up? Well, yeah, we bought this yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, da, what? No, wait, what? Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. And my, my partners, Hawk and Animal, are in Japan wrestling. They're not readily available. So we went back to the hotel and I somehow was able to get him on a telephone call. And it was like, you could just tell things were dropping. Mm -hmm. And again, that was at a time where I was not as cognizant, I think of things as I am now to some degree. And so we ended up driving across Michigan to, to the UP for this wedding. And we're out fishing one day and, and we run into this guy who's got a house on the water there, his beautiful house. And he asks us in for a beer, which is what they do there. You're going to come in for mm -hmm. a beer. Right. All these hats are around the, the, the upper level of this garage he has. And right by the door, there's a 3M hat. And I said to the guy, what's the deal with 3M? He goes, oh, I used to have a printing company in Evanston, and I mm -hmm. worked with 3M for years. I said, well, let me give you a scenario that's been going back and forth here. And he looks at me, takes a couple swigs of beer, and says, so what did your lawyer say? I said, we don't have one. He goes, they're going to sue the shit out of you. It's 3M. Mm -hmm. And that's not what my partners wanted to hear. No. So I pulled out of the deal, lost, I don't know, $85,000, 90 grand. And a lot of change. It's right a lot of change, sister. And we ha I had nowhere to go. This was, the, I think, one of the first times I was really aware of the fact that sometimes if you don't move, the universe will move you eventually. Right. And I tried to find, I mean, I'd worked with Walter Payton. I'd done all this amazing stuff, but nobody returned the calls. All the doors closed. It was like, a, it was like going into a funnel. Mm -hmm. And Bruce Hardwick, God bless him, who owns the Hillcrest Motel, his son was in the graduating class that we attended uh, a year earlier, his graduation, where I spoke up there, and then this wedding. Um, he and says, in what town? What this town is Rapid River, Michigan. You got it. Where? In the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. It's a little 10-room motel at the time on U.S. Highway 41 in Rapid River, nowhere. And we had stayed there a couple times because the wedding and, and the year before at the, uh, the graduation. And so he calls me one day, and he's like, well, how's it going? I said, it's going. It's terrible. You know, I'm losing my mind. I can't. Nothing's working. He says, why don't you move up here? And I said, why the hell? What do you mean? What do you mean? Then <laughs> they moved from Chicago up to the to Rapid Hill, River. Michigan. Okay. And mm -hmm. he says, you know, so we go back and forth on this. And not long after that phone call, we were uh, planning. There was this big family vacation going. I believe it was to Mexico, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And right after I talked with him, I started having this recurring dream of walking. I would see myself on the back with a backpack on in the setting sun with a beard and a stick. And it was just this image that wouldn't leave me alone. Every other day, right before I wake up, I'm like, what is this? And I figure I'm losing my shit here. Mm -hmm. That's right. what's going on. I, I, I'm losing <laughs> it. And cause you know, I don't, I don't even know right. what that meant. This goes right. on for a few months. Finally, we got nowhere else to go. Bruce, his wife, Pat, my friend, Dwayne, his wife, Carol, a friend, Dan, they come over and we put everything we own in a horse trailer that they drove down from the upper peninsula parked on right out where our house was right off Northwest highway over there in Chicago. Right. You know, eight months earlier, Walter Payton's dropping me off from an event at the United Center. And here now, we're putting everything we own in a, in a horse trailer. Right. We go north. The long and short of it is we put everything in, in storage. About a week after we get there, I'm sitting in my room, my thumb up, my keister going, are you kidding me? I live in a hotel. Yeah, what <laughs> the hell happened here? And of course, everybody that knew me, especially my wife's side of the family, like this guy, he's lost his marbles. And matter of fact, as I recall... My, uh, my former in-laws were in a, on a vacation in Canada. They came back around and they stopped there and they talked with my wife at the time and said, listen, take the kids, put them in the car. We're, you're not staying here. 
Right. You can't live in a motel. No, but she <laughs> right. stayed to her credit, mm -hmm. which was great for all of us. The kids thought we were on vacation for a year, right? So <laughs> they didn't care. Hey, we get clean towels whenever we call Pretty downstairs. much, you know, and there was a gumball <laughs> machine. I mean, come right. on. So so all this went on. So about a week or so after this uh, this all transpired, I'm sitting there and I, you know, I fell asleep and I had that dream again. So I go right down to Bruce, who's a Ojibwa elder, Native American elder. I told him what was going on. He said, well, that's why you came here. I'm like, wait, what? What do you mean? He goes, he goes, I've been waiting for you. Come the F on. Come on. So we go out in the back of the place. He gives, he, he does this five foot five, tall and wide, long white hair down to his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And he holds my hand. He starts getting real emotionally. He says, you've been given a choice. Very rare. This is serious. I said, okay. He said, you can stay here as long as you want in rooms nine and 10 with your family. I don't care. I'm not going to charge you a dime. And for a year, Jen, he didn't. A year. And he said, or you could see what the great mystery has for you. You have to make a choice. He said, you're being given a vision for a reason. You know, like they happen every day. Right. But they don't. Mm -hmm. And so I said, listen, I, 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 you know, I'll take door number two here. So that night they have a big fire and they bring all these people. It's this big lodge. And in my book, Phenomenon, there's a whole chapter on it. The, the lodge pictures on the back of the book. It's just really something. And at this... Phenomenon, meeting. by the way, is your third book it's after, my third of course, book. Living an Uncommon Life and Every Moment Matters. You are correct. Look up. All right, you are go correct. Ahead. Nice job. Mm -hmm. Thanks Thank for the you. feed there. That's right. It. Hit it right out of the park, didn't you? Bing. So, uh, so anyway, so they have this big lodge that night, and we're talking about this. And the guy, Dwayne, who had come down to help us move, stands up, another guy with long white hair, and he says, I'll go with you. I've been waiting for you, too. <laughs> I come on. We don't even just put met these yeah. We don't even put ketchup on our hot dogs. You're asking me to to assume that this is so. The long and short of it was that's how the walk started, and we walked out. I think it was like two or three days right after my daughter turned seven, and we left in late August, early September, somewhere in there, uh, to walk to Chicago. The first day we made it 19 miles to Escanaba, which was the major city from Rapid River. 19 miles. Couldn't get out of bed the next day. I bet. Ow. Yeah, so it became a huge deal. And on the way back, we got to Chicago about six weeks later, five weeks later. And that's a whole, you know, we have time for all that today. It's in all my books. I've covered it in every one of those books you mentioned. Right, right. And then um, you realized you had to walk back. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I'm sitting in Desplaines, <laughs> and the guy, Dan, who's this longtime friend of mine, I'm sitting at his house, and it dawns me, like, I have to walk back alone. Those guys mm -hmm. left. And that's when it really started. So I get, I'm walking back north. I get outside of Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Yeah. And uh, there I am, Jen, standing in the same thing I dreamt for months. How the heck does that happen? I was going to drop the vision the you had is exactly it, where you were. I in stood in it. You stood in it. And you were in the vision. Yeah. It had been shown to me in a, in a snapshot of a way I could understand. I literally mm -hmm. stopped in my tracks, frozen, going, I'm in, I have a beard. I have a backpack on. I have this big stick. There's sun setting on my left. There's water on my left. I'm on a curved piece of road. There's pine trees. I've seen this 300 times. There you are. And all of this, in my opinion, goes back to what I wrote about Phenomenon 2, which is the uh, this electrical incident that, that happened when I was a young guy. But all of that transpired to move me in the direction I am. So when you ask me about the walk, uh, it seems like a million years ago and it seems like somebody else's life. But as soon as we start talking about it, I'm right there again. Well, that's the thing. So many people are afraid to pack up and go. Just pack up and go. Yeah. Change things out. And you not only packed up and went... You relocated and saw mm. what was in store because you were following the nudge. And and it's not a selfish move. It was a, there's nothing else. Like you said, when the universe sometimes throws you out of a moving vehicle, it's because yeah. you're supposed to go somewhere else. 
Yeah, we dig our, our, our heels in on this stuff, and there's a fear factor there. And I think there's like a time frame for some of this stuff. You know, it's all about free will. Right. I could have I could have said door number one. We're going to park our butts in the room nine and ten, and we'll see, you know that wasn't it. I, I just felt in that moment I need to make a different decision here, and we did end up living in that motel for a year. Uh, it was on the walk not long after Oconomowoc Walk where I saw this that this thought came in my head about radio. It was clear as a bell. It was like a voice in my head said, "John, go on the radio." Just that clear. I'm like, wait, what? Who's this? And you're guy? like, who? How? Exactly. And you had never been on the radio. No. Once. And that's the thing. You're like, no. So then you you go pitch yourself to this station yep. in Michigan and say, hey, I'm going to be your guy. Yep. Okay. Next thing you know, you are the guy. Fast, fast, fast forward. You wind up helping Oprah launch yeah. her radio network at Harpo. <laughs> so obviously the nudges took you somewhere. But yep. then let's keep going. It didn't mean you were spiking the football and now you're living in Malibu in your mansion right. looking out at this gorgeous view. Peaks and valleys, peaks right. and valleys, ebbs and flows, the waves, you know, every breaking wave, they swell and then they sink and then they swell again. It hasn't been easy breezy, but you know it was where you were supposed to go. That what you said right there is the only reason I continue to do this. Yeah. Because I said, yes, I will do this. Uh, I didn't say all everything you just laid out was perfect. It was like, it didn't say I was going to be, you know, the, the most listened to radio guy in the world. It, none of that was there. All it says is go on the radio. And for me, I think it was a deep down desire to uh, not waste the time that I have here. You know, when I was electrocuted at 19, I know what that feels like. When I was cut out of the car at 27, uh, after a car accident, I know what that feels like. When I gave a kidney to my daughter at 13 and they gave me this piece of paper and said, sign this, you might not wake up from the surgery. That's the third time. You know, after a while, these 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 events and experiences kind of have molded me to really step back from a lot of what happens in the world and let, let it settle. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, can you stand in the stream of life still until the d- mud settles and you can see your way clear? And most of us are kicking shit up left and right all the time. So it's hard to see that sometimes. We were having one of our spiritual social clubs recently with this woman, Marla Fries, who is a great intuitive. Mm-hmm. She wrote the best-selling book, American Psychic. She didn't believe in any of this psychic shit either. And she had a you know traumatic experience that rewired the brain, kind of like with you and your near-death experiences mm-hmm. from being electrocuted and you know hit by a drunk driver and all these things. People can get the books to find out the full details. But I truly believe that when you have things that are emotionally traumatic or physically traumatic, it rewires the brain and shakes it like a snow globe. And so Marla was saying that she had this big download. And I think everybody needs to hear this because this is truly something we forget. <laughs> she literally saw this vision of a girl playing on a playground and it was her. Right. Mm. And it was like this kind of like Jesus figure came in and, she, and it was like, look at that sweet little girl. And her mother physically abused her. Her father verbally abused her. She had a terrible, tragic childhood. You mm-hmm. know, the mother just didn't have the toolkit. The father was a World War II veteran with PTSD. Mm. So she was just, you know, put in this circumstance. And what, you know, the healing man said to her, Marla, you know, yes, look at her. She's a beautiful little girl. The mistake you made was thinking that you needed to be loved to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So for That's us huge. to make a difference, you have to self-love because there is no guarantee that outside love is going to come. Even in the family construct of a mother, father, whatever, you find that inner GPS and that connection to your God, the divine source, whatever it is, and then you're okay and you still can make a difference. There's no guarantee you will be loved in the process. Yeah. yeah. You know, you bring that up and I was thinking of a podcast I did about two or three weeks ago. 
and I was talking about my mom who was an alcoholic. My mom died at 59. My dad enabled her. And it took me years to let that go, meaning this that was their path. It's not mine. You know, I could sit down and you've been with me. I could swill with the best of them. But I don't roll into the whole alcoholic thing and whatever, whatever. You was, always have an off switch. I mean, it's, it's yeah. very clear that you have an off switch. Yeah, and I'm very sure clear. that's by being raised by yep. an alcoholic mother. You're like, ah, I'm not going to be me. You're either going to go there or you're not. Exactly. You not exactly. Yeah. The, I have this image and I, there may be people who need to hear it. Maybe they don't. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it anyway. I have this image of walking up my front porch uh, on a summer evening. And the only light in the house that was on was way at the end of the hallway where our kitchen was. And I could see my mom clearly standing in the kitchen under that light, swigging Jack Daniels from the bottle. I mean, mainline in this shit. Mm -hmm. And I stopped in my tracks. I was probably 16, 17. I was in high school. And the thought that I had was not anger, but was what hurts so much she does this. Mm -hmm. And she never, to my knowledge, after conversations and things, ever dug deep enough to find out what it is, or maybe she didn't even know what it is. You know, alcohol becomes a deadening, numbing force. And so what you think will help you in the beginning to forget becomes your worst enemy. It's bigger than the problem sometimes that started it. So all of that in, in being said, I did this podcast a couple of weeks ago and I was wide open. Look, you know, we're all on borrowed time. So I just mm-hmm. say, you know, I try not to drop too many F-bombs on shows, but the, the shit word's going to come out. It's like yeah, sausage, it you know? Happens. It happens. It mm-hmm. happens. And uh, I was going on this roll with this stuff and I'm, this is how I grew up. This is how, this is, but I learned something and here's what I learned. I learned that I I had to not see my parents as I thought they should be, but as they are. Mm -hmm. That was number one, huge load. And the second thing is my mom was my best teacher. She showed me what not to do, how not to deal with stuff. This was no way out. And this is the result when you don't deal with your shit and it deals with you. And so everything I've done since then, over time, you know, I started writing the books and the radio shows and TED Talks, all that stuff. Every bit of it is to say there's a better choice. Like my friend who took me by the hand and said, what do you see? You want to see what the great mystery has? Or you just want to sit here in your shit? Yeah. Basically. <laughs> you want to swill in your shit room That's 9 it. and 10 or you want to go for a walk? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and you know a lot of people in my personal journey and I yep. shared with you recently that I had to put up a hard boundary with a very toxic person in a, you know, sort of yep. not immediate family, but in the circle, right? Yep. And I just said, no, until you decide to choose not to drink yourself to inebriation we cannot be in your life and she writes back well i don't want to deal with you so that's no incentive i don't want to see you i don't want you in my life which just tells you the priority there the priority is the bottle Mm -hmm. not you and that's hard for people and alcoholism is such an insidious thing you know there is a download there you know i i I don't want to get a whole is it a disease is it not my sister's not an alcoholic neither am i no, but those who choose like that are in the swill of that 100, disease. They 100%. are gripped by that. And yes. I do think that it, there is it, yep. a disease factor there, which can happen for some and not everyone. It depends yep. on your wiring and whether you're prone to it or not. One, we've seen it ruin lives. Yes, no question. One day I was doing a talk. I was doing my second book uh, signing up in Milwaukee. And a guy came up afterwards and said, listen, do you think you'd ever consider come speaking in a prison? I said, I've spoken at a dozen or more prisons. What, what do you need for me? He says, well, we don't have any money. I said, what do you need for me? So it turns in Milwaukee, there's a, a prison there. And I'm using that's the term he used, but it's for people who have committed vehicular manslaughter because they were drunk. Ah. So he, you know, I, I don't think I was even talking about my mom and all this stuff, but he just, can you come? Sure. So on one of my trips down, I went and 
got locked, you know, logged into this place. It almost looks like an apartment building. You'd never know. It's in downtown Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And when I got to the fifth floor where everybody was at, they're all in orange jumpsuits, right? Right. And some of them were getting out. Many of them were not for a very long time, if ever. And they were all sitting in front of me. And I recognized all their faces because I've been at bars with every one of them at some point. I'm sure. I said to them the first thing. I said, first of all, I'm not going to sit up here and throw a Bible at you because there's no answers in that for me. Nor am I going to condemn you for what you did. You're already doing that to yourself. But let me just say this. Uh, with a couple decisions one way or the other, I might be wearing an orange jumpsuit too. And they went, whoa. Mm-hmm. And I just said, that's how it is. And so we worked on that from that point. And one of the things I've learned to do over time, which really get good at, which is the question session. Most people ask terrible questions <laughs> about their lives. You know, why does yeah. everybody hate me? Well, here's a list mm-hmm. why, you know? Right. So you know, it, it, this only takes less than five minutes. And I think you've seen me do this with some people. Mm-hmm. Um, where Probably you start... when we did this at the Tribune. We did correct, correct. forgivable events. 100%. Mm-hmm. And you start talking with people. And first of all, you know, I don't have any dog in the game. So I can say whatever I want. We get down to it. And the first question I asked this one guy who was sitting with his arms folded, tough guy. I said, who, who wants to do this? Nobody raised their hand. So I picked him. The guy with his arms folded, I'm going them first. Mm-hmm. He sits down and I said, so here's my first, maybe only question. Uh, which cell are you in and you know, when your, your child is with you in the next cell is, you know, repeating your behavior, what are you going to say to him? He just looked at me and started bawling. Mm-hmm. And that's where we went from there. So when in I look, other, it, when it, so yeah, if his it got passed child, down, yeah, passed right. down, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So you may not be able to do anything right now where you're at with that, but you can do something to break the chain because you're either adding a link or you're taking it off. And so after that was done, you know, I, I got all these letters from these people. The interesting thing was, Jen, before I went and talked there, I asked for their bios, and except for the name changes and locations, they all had the same story. Mm-hmm. And they all thought they were unique and nobody would understand and they were all the same. And that's what our problems are. They're all, they're unique to us, but they are, they are universal to the human condition. Right. And the thing too with free will, the shame factor, the shame that comes from these choices that are made when we are feeling less than or feeling sad or self-medicating or whatever, that vibration, we've talked about this with kinesiology and power versus force, that shame programming is not going to get you anywhere. So you have to get back to self-respect. How do you get to self-respect? Part of it is accountability and owning Mm. it and saying, you know what, I did this and now I'm choosing differently. And now, not but now, because yeah. but just negates everything you just said previously. Correct. But I did the best I could in the time, which might not have been so great for those right. who were standing there with a clipboard and grading me, if you will. But at the end of the day, source, God, the divine, doesn't grade you. Even if you kill somebody, honestly, they're on the other side, they're like, oh, whoops, you better come back and do that again. I mean, I truly believe that after interviewing so many people who have died and come back, you being one of them, yeah. a couple near-death experiences under your belt, when you're in the light, there is no, it's just unconditional love. That's why some people don't want to come back. It's so bright and beautiful and peaceful. You're out of pain. You don't have to worry about paying the bills. You don't have to worry about anything except, oh shit, yes you do. Yeah. Because then you, you left a trail behind by this passing. You know, there yeah. is a lot to do. There's there's heaven school, if you will. There's school, I believe, where you have, your soul has to keep evolving and you have to keep learning life lessons. And if you didn't complete them, this is a big one, people. If you have people in your life and they keep showing up, pushing on the bruise, pushing on the bruise, if you don't face it, it will come back in the next scenario with a different costume, just Correct. different name. But if you don't face it, because that is what we signed up to do, to learn lessons, master the lessons, and then say, I'm done with this one, we'll mm-hmm. move on. Because I do not want to come back 
another time and have to relearn this lesson with this family member that I'm talking about where I was enabling it too for decades, John. I would just ignore it at Thanksgiving when they would pass out the mashed potatoes and be like, oh, ha, 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 ha. Right. let's go in here and watch a movie. No, I finally stood up and said, I am a parent now and I don't want my kid to grow up with those kind of memories. That's it. It stops here. I'm not repeating this pattern. And you have a choice too, listeners out there. If you have that going on in your scenario, you have a choice. Even if they are your immediate blood family or your spouse, you have a choice to get up and walk away. And you can and you will survive. Yeah, you're 100% right. And everything you said is very powerful. And and I, I had a couple of, quote, come to Jesus meetings with my parents. And I realized, you said it earlier, their toolbox didn't have the tools to do anything other than what they were doing. Did you say things to them like, why did you do this, Dad? Oh, yeah. Why did you sure, enable Mom? Sure. All that stuff. Yep. And yep. what did they say? He just kind of shook his head. You know, he, right. he just wants her to be happy and didn't know what to do and blah blah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were a couple of times, you know, we my sister and I did an insurmountable amount of work, like to get mm -hmm. them somewhere to help them, and as their condition was deteriorating, and you know, she'd get checked into a hospital for something, and he'd check her out. Wow. Because she, John, get me out of here. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was it. Mm -hmm. That was the end right. of it. So that after, when you get to that point, you just kind of let that go. And then there was, you know, the thing that was really difficult for me to burn off for years was anger. Mm -hmm. Because what happens if you're an angry, hurt person, you do that to other people because you're not dealing with the source of it. So once I dealt with it, my parents, as best I could, then I just started being angry and pissed off to everybody else because that's who I became. Mm -hmm. And I was the kind of guy, you know, we didn't know each other back then, but I was the kind of guy. And there are people that know me from that time that cannot believe that I am who I am today. Right. I mean, I was the kind of guy that you did not want to walk on the same side of the street with me for no particular reason. The energy, the the, the whole drill, uh, you know, it was... But you just like punched walls? Just well, punch walls. well kind of? A, a little bit of everything. Little bit. <laughs> you know, but my best job for two years was a bouncer because uh -huh. at three o'clock in the morning, I know someone's taking a swing at me and I'm sober and they're not and they're going down. And how many times did I take a swing at somebody who was drunk because it was my dad in front of me, not this guy? Uh, right. So this th th this all really came to a head. I did a training called EST, Earhart Seminar Trainings. Mm -hmm. I don't think, th I think they're called Landmark now. Yeah, Landmark Forum. Yeah, mm -hmm. so this mm -hmm. was long, long time ago. This was probably 82, 81, okay. 82. And um, I remember that one of the one of the little things you had to do at, at the break time, it was a very interesting, there was like 200 people in a room and you stay all day. It was just very different. I was, But I was looking for something to crack this open in me. One of the things you had to do is you had to confront somebody uh, that wasn't there. So I called my house. My dad answers the phone. It was like on Easter Sunday, I think. <laughs> you know, the time of Jesus uh -huh. and forgiveness. And I and I lit my dad up like a firecracker. And you did from the, the payphone. Oh, from the payphone mm -hmm. in the right. mo in the hotel of this uh, this you know lobby there. And he listened. You just for, let him have it. Let him have it. Both mm -hmm. barrels, flamethrowers. You're lucky I'm not there. USB, blah blah. And this whole thing went on for about four or five minutes. And then he goes, here's your mom. Oh. <laughs> and uh, then what? And then I laid into her. Uh-huh. And by then I was exhausted. Okay. I go back into this training. I wrote about this in the book. This was a yeah. huge big deal for me. Yeah. I go back and I'm sitting there with my head shaved. I'm 240 pounds. I could bench press a Volkswagen. I got a leather jacket on. <laughs> you know, you don't want nothing to do with me. No. Worst of the worst or the best of the worst. Depends how you look at it. Right. And there's a guy in front of it. They have all these chairs lined up in perfect order. And there's a guy sitting there. And he's starting to nod off. And I thought, who what the, what are you, I paid for this. Why are you falling asleep? Mm -hmm. So finally the guy nodded off and I kicked him right out of his chair. <laughs> Jen, I launched his ass 
like into the front row was in front in of front him. Was he in front of you? Yeah, he's right in front okay, of me. Okay, so you just kicked him. Yeah, yeah, the whole chair, the whole thing. And of course, the place erupts. <gasps> and all the facilitators want to come over and process. I mean, look, you idiots. If you'd not let this guy fall asleep, in your t- I wouldn't have to, and it's your fault. I'd, I'm right, right down the list. Right, right. So they move the guy who's shocked, right? This poor guy. <laughs> was got he hurt? Me. No, it was no. just he was really, but he was nodding off. We'd been there like eight hours, right? Yeah, so people, that's you know, true. <laughs> Launch the guy. They move him. There's a they, no chair in front of me. Don't put a chair in front of John now. Right. No kidding. Two minutes later, I fell asleep in my chair. <laughs> and this woman next to me, Sue, uh-huh. your size, 125 pounds. She she kick you. She puts her she puts her elbow in my left rib and smacks it, and I fall out of the chair. Oh. Almost out of breath, and the place went nuts. And I stood up and I was just as red as... And at first I was mad, then I was embarrassed, and then I started laughing. That is a riot. It See was, what you put yeah, in motion? Exactly. Karma. Instant karma. Like Instant minutes. Instant karma. Yeah. Did so you own it? Oh, it was a big it? deal. Ups, 100%. Oh, yeah. 100%. Owned it. Mm-hmm. Went over and gave the guy a hug, you know, and I felt bad. And we sat there. We laughed. For, they let us laugh. For like It was like 20 minutes of just cracking up. Everybody <laughs> saw themselves in me. Right? And so at the end of the whole training, when it was all done, uh, each you know person walks up and says what they got out of it. You're finally finished and you graduate and stuff. And I, right. I took my leather coat off and I gave it to the facilitator. And then she gave it to the guy that I knocked on the floor. Oh, that's but, great. But uh, yeah, it was a huge thing. So these are the kind of things that most people do not want to put themselves in a position to deal with. It's just easier to go to the bar and complain. Yeah, it is. Oh, There's yeah. no answers in the bottom of a glass, sister. No, there's not, except that you need another drink because yep. it's empty. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but again, that immediate fix ain't a fix. Yeah. You know, I, I tell my son that. So now he's 17 and we, we went and did this 5K. He had his first 5K. He's never done mm-hmm. a 5K. And he's not used to running like long distance. He can do sprinting just fine. But endurance is not really the wrestler's thing. He's right. wrestling. Right. It's like there's no endurance training as much. Right. So, you know, he was a little nervous about it. We were there, you know, helping to, it was a run against gun violence, 10th anniversary, and the Shine Hope Com- Company, which teaches the how to hope. And mm-hmm. We talked with Catherine, and I've yeah. talked with Catherine. Yeah. So we were representing there doing a mural of a sunflower, which looks a lot like the cover of your book, Every Moment Matters, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. Beautiful sunflower. And that's the symbol for the Shine Hope Company and IFRED, the International Foundation Research Education for Depression. So anyway, Britt is there, and he's 180 pounds now. Six, mm. like he's just you know continuing <laughs> his boy. journey of you know, and this guy comes up who hasn't seen Brit since he was about eleven, and I said Mike Mike Puccinelli CBS reporter here in Chicago Mike right? Puccinelli Mike Puccinelli and he comes up he's like <laughs> Jen how you doing I'm like how you doing and I said this is Brit my son his eyes went like gong you know and Brit shook you know shook his hand hi how are you and he said I remember I met you back in blah 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 and it was a really actually a very funny story Mike came by at, at one time and. Brit thought he was the um, furniture delivery guy. (laughs) (laughs) So they had a bit of a chuckle, you know, and it was like, (laughs) and so then later Mike came up and he just said, I can't believe I can't get over your son. He said, you did a great job. I said, I didn't do a great job. And he's like, no, 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 no. You got to take some credit. You influenced your son in a way that made a very respectful, kind Mm -hmm. man. Mm-hmm. He's a man, Jen. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. he is. <laughs> He'll always be my baby. He yeah. is. 
<laughs> but, you know, that goes into, again, how are you going to do your next generation? Right. Even if you don't have kids, you are still influencing other people who are 100%. younger than you. You are a mentor to some. You are an influence to some. Even though you might not actually physically have the kids, you are influencing that next generation, whether you know it or not. Yeah. So what are you going to do? And, you know, one of the things about doing these podcasts that we've done together, you do yours, I do mine, we do them together. Uh, we've been guests. I mean, I don't know. I, if we tried to add up the years of radio experience, it's a lot, right? Yes, which, oh, by the way, all right, you finish your sentence. No, so my point, my point was that you never know who's listening. You know, mm-hmm. we both had these uh, experiences where we, whether we were on WGN or WLS or I was on CBS or Oprah Radio, wherever it's at, podcasting where you'll say something just to say it like this. Like I did a couple of weeks ago, and I get all this feedback from these people who said, you know, your superpower is your vulnerability. I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. I just don't have time for bullshit. Don't come here with bullshit. I don't have time for it. No, so, thank you. Right. So, so there's a great respect and responsibility that I feel whenever I get behind this microphone, whether it says WGN on it, whether it just says, you know, sure microphone like I have here. Right. I take this, I don't take myself seriously, but this I take serious. I agree. And telling stories is something I've been taking very seriously. And so Mm. because of that, our storytelling and writing combined, your three books, my four books, and several audio books between us, we are going to teach people how to write their story and take it out of their head, out of their Word docs, and into a document that's either in print, on Audible, or both. Mm -hmm. Because this world needs your story. Get it out, but you need help sometimes getting it out. And sometimes, you know what? People just need to tell it once or twice, and maybe there isn't a full book in there. Maybe there's just some conversations. But either way, you need to know. And so many people, I know you've had it and I've had it. How do I write a book? I need to write a book. Everyone thinks they've got to write a book. Well, let's do it. If you're serious about it, let's do it. So if you want to join us, go to jenweigel.com, and uh, there's a link there for upcoming events, and you'll find it. For those who are listening, this is a June 29th of 2023. And if you're listening to this after the fact, we probably have many, many others available. So just go to jenmichael.com and look for Spiritual Social Club, that tab. It's got all sorts of things that will probably be right there on the homepage. Who knows when somebody's finding this in the ethers, John? Mm-hmm. It could be 2029 for all we know. 100%. It's <laughs> the way it works. One of the things that's always been fascinating to me, and I'll get back to the workshop in a second, is you put these out, and I got you know 500, 600 podcasts for the last five years. You're in the same area. Right. And somebody listens to something from four years ago and then sends a note. You remember when you said this? No, I don't. It was four years ago. I remember when I wrote stuff. People are like, remember you were on this place and you saw this thing? I'm like, I got to reread my shit. I don't remember that part. But you know, we write it from the heart. And that's what we teach others to do too, is that if it's from the heart, it'll reach somebody else's heart because that's what we do. One of the things that, for me at least, the reason this is important to do this workshop with you is, you know, I'll always send you this stuff. We'll come across these on Facebook all the time. Be a mega best-selling author. Find your inner Hemingway. Mm-hmm. attract the right literary agent and sell millions of books. And I'm thinking, or here's the big secret to being published. And I get tired of this stuff because it is not true. No, it's not. The, you, you don't write for those reasons. Now, that's what they're trying to use as bait to get people hooked in. And inevitably, I'll go watch the comments on something like that. And you see these people like, I need an agent, I need an agent, agent. Do you have any idea how long that takes, what that takes? Mm-hmm. Of course not. Right. And then you think just the process. And Jen, you and I have worked on a lot of different book projects together. Both have our strengths, you know, and we, we kind of tag team in that as well. And you get to a certain point, and you're thinking people have no idea how long it takes, what's involved, whether you're writing a legacy project, if you even know what that is, or a novel. There, This is a serious commitment. 
Right. And the process that that takes for to get from you know from the book that you hold in your hand, that you go, I wish I could do this, to where you start is a long way around the block, sister, and you know that. Right. And look, some people are really good at fixing cars. Some people are great at doing taxes. I'm great at writing and telling stories, and so are you. But mm. don't try to pretend you're good at something that you're not good at. Yes. Like, you know, we've worked at people who insist they want to read their own audiobook or whatever. Well, guess what? There are people who are paid to do this because right. it comes naturally. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. I don't yeah. fix kitchen cabinets. I call a guy. You got a guy? You call a guy. <laughs> you call a guy. Yeah. You know, everybody's got a guy. And the audio process is, you know, that's more in my backyard. So mm -hmm. I've been in so much production for decades in radio that it became a natural thing. I've done voiceover work myself. I, you know, you're on the docket. We have other people we know that could read these audio books. You're first right. in queue. But it's like, that's a whole nother process. These days, you know, it's it's like the trifecta. You almost are missing if you don't have an ebook and audible in addition to print. Right. And How back people, in, well, right? Well, yeah, I was going to say, say back in the day, it was books on tape. You'd stop and pick up a book on tape, and then you have to drop it off again at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Cracker Barrel. Oh, yeah. uh, and so people for emailing you, how do you want people to find you, John? Easy to do. Power Talk, PWR Talk at Hotmail.com. When are you going to get off the Hotmail? No. <laughs> I have friends that are still on AOL. When they're off, then I'll, then I'll get off. Well, somehow, uh, and I know we're kind of working at both ends of the stick here, but I felt like every time I have you on the show – you're interviewing me. You turn the <laughs> tables, and I don't even know how that happens. You can't take, <laughs> you know, it's like they say, I can. you can't take the waitress out of the girl. You can take <laughs> her out of the restaurant. You cannot take the interviewer out of the interviewer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what's so interesting to me is we've known each other as long as we have. Right. You ask me these questions, and I makes me, I'm like, I know we've talked about it, but then something new pops up. So you have this ability to, you know, oh, she slid that curveball in. So I don't now, remember, you know, that whole story, you kicking the guy out of the chair. I remember yeah, reading it in your book, but it's yeah. so fun to hear you tell it. So thanks for yeah. that. And you know what else? The other part of this too is I can't wait to do this this uh, podcast thing that we're doing. We're, we're trying to look down the road a little bit here. We'll mm -hmm. see what comes out of it. Uh, we did a whole year in Washington, D.C. together. And it was fantastic. John and Jen. It was John fabulous. and Jen, man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of me says, boy, if there's a program director listing, screw that. <laughs> we've done our due diligence here in Chicago and other markets. And so we're looking at the possibility of just creating our own radio show type thing because the podcasting platform allows for it. I was in a deep conversation, Jen. I mean, deep at uh, dinner yeah. the other night. Oh, yeah. And the guy was saying to me about, he listens to WGN because he doesn't even know why, except it's always been on the dial. Right. He says, I don't even like anybody there, but it's just on in the background. I'm like, well, okay, that's fine. And then we got in this conversation about how podcasting in many ways has kind of chopped off that arm of, of AM radio, especially whether it's in Chicago or LA or wherever. There's so much information to be had other places, it's getting smaller and smaller. So instead of trying to fit into the smaller space, we have this, we can talk to the world. We can. So we're looking at that. Without the Cialis commercials. <laughs> yeah, we won't do the Seattle's. What about like Braunschweiger commercials? Can we do that? We can do that. Hey, yeah. we pick our favorite restaurants. There's so many things I love to promote. Yeah, absolutely. You know? absolutely. The Jimmy Bars. We love Jimmy oh, Bars. Oh, Jimmy Bars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no Seattle's. Okay, no thanks. <laughs> All right, Jen. Appreciate your time. Everybody else, thanks for listening. Be well. Safe travels. Keep the faith.